It's easy to get lost. This is The Revenue Maze, and I'm Valerie Cobb. Join me as we navigate the halls, dead ends, and U-turns on our path towards upward growth trajectory. The Revenue Maze is sponsored by Lodestar URY, guidance and execution through fractional revenue leadership, uncovering hidden revenue streams, and empowering small business growth through process-driven sales. All right, welcome everybody to the Revenue Maze. I'm your host, Valerie, and we are here today to talk to someone who has demystified and traversed the Revenue Maze in the tech space. Evolving from years of experience launching tech startups, constantly working through disruptive ideation to solve challenges that appear unsolvable, worked at, um, started Telegraph Hill Software, ThinkLink, Be Notified, I'm sitting at the feet of a masterful guru, our guest and co-founder, CEO of SafeSite Check-In, David Ward. Hello, David. Valerie, it's good to be here. So glad to have you. All right. Wow. Just, I'm so glad you agreed to come on my show today. So thank you. The audience wants to learn more about David a little bit later, but we always start this show with one strategy that people need to utilize to escape the revenue maze to get to their growth. All right. Okay. All right. Well, if we're going to go with the, the maze analogy, I used to say uh, you need to figure out how to get out of your maze and above it so you can see the goal at the end. Our particular journey. Uh, began 18 months ago at SafeSite Check-In when a friend of mine who's a general contractor came to me and said, I can reopen my job sites, but I need to conform to these new safety protocols. Um, I happened to be running a software development company at that point, Telegraph Hill Software, and I was able to quickly put together uh, a solution and in, within two months had sold our first subscriptions. Um, so the company started really with an inbound marketing and an e-commerce style, you know, selling proposition. And, you know, hundreds of businesses all over the country uh, that needed to uh, quickly solve this problem so that they could start realizing revenue again and get the, the economy reopened. But once, so it's, it was really a marketing e-commerce issue for revenue uh, for the first nine, 10 months. But once the vaccines came out, uh, that intent to buy for that reason, it changed, began to change. And we realized that uh, in shifting from that kind of, you know, I'll use the term impulse buy, but it's a short-term need. It's a problem that needed to be solved in the next few hours kind of buying behavior. Uh, to a, a more traditional B2B buying behavior, uh, having to do with profits and profitability and revenue and, and all the sorts of uh, value propositions that I'm familiar with from, from B2B businesses. So that meant building uh, an enterprise sales organization um, and a corresponding enterprise product at, at a, higher, a higher price point. So I guess in answer to your question, I, we kind of jumped out of one maze and into another. <laughs> uh, you kind of do. But we're off. But we're off to an excellent start, and uh, 
I'm, I'm happy with our progress to date. You know, we've got over 160 accounts across North America and uh, for having such an informal start and, uh, and self-financing, that's, uh, that's pretty nice actually. Well, good, good. Um, so let's talk a little bit about that. So what is one of the strategies that you've been trying to, to work on during that time? And how are you solving this right now? Well, you know, selling into the construction space has been uh, a challenge. Um, <laughs> I've had a lot to learn about it. You know, most of my career was selling to either uh, financial services firms, fintechs, uh, or uh, high technology businesses of one sort. I mean, very sophisticated buyers, big budgets, that sort of thing. That's not this sector. <laughs> this, is, <laughs> this is more your classic late adopter sector, uh, culturally very different. Um, industry-wide profit levels very different. Uh, it's in some ways it's more like selling to consumers, selling a business product to consumers uh, or people who think like consumers uh, than it is my the customer that I've had. At the same time, it's clear that the benefits of digital transformation are all there to be realized in this industry. Uh, and what's missing is digital solutions at the job site. Uh, yeah. So, so what we've done is instead of just mitigating pandemic at the job site, uh, is a broader digital data value proposition originating at the job site. Now, theoretically, when we started the company, uh, this seemed to be true. Whenever you come up with a new reliable source of digital data, you will find a way to use it to make your, uh, your business run better. Uh, and that's probably actually the most exciting thing that uh, has come to fruition in the last few months is uh, people are really beginning to get that, that this data is strategically valuable to their business, not, uh, not a technical solution. Yeah, yeah. So that's interesting. You said typically late adopters. Now I, I have to make, I have to interject and make a, a little bit of joke coming from some heavy equipment. You know, I know some contractors that, that still shine their chrome on their equipment and their equipment is always that top notch. So, <laughs> and they even name their equipment and they love their trucks and all of that kind of stuff in construction, right? So what data are they not really a adopting that you're seeing that, you know, would help their sites and explain a little bit. I mean, I have some history in construction as well, but mm -hmm. explain a little bit about why, why they need to start looking this direction. You know, that, that's one of the things I'm curious about. Well, uh, the, the, their consumption of software so far has, has really been limited to headquarters. Uh, mm -hmm. It's their financial applications, you know, CRM and marketing, they've even been late to adopt those. Um, project management software in the last few years has been a big focus, but it's all headquarters based. Uh, whereas at the job site, uh, it's culturally very different. You know, these are, it's a tradesperson's culture, not a back office uh, white collar uh, culture. Uh, physical conditions make it difficult to operate uh, computers, even even, uh, even pads and tablets. Uh, 
don't work well in those environments. Yes. Um, so those things have, have made it difficult uh, to adopt. But I think also it's just, I would characterize it this way. I'm not sure a lot of your audience understands, but the role of a general contractor is to absorb all the risk of a building project. I think from the outside, we look at it as these are the people doing the building. In some ways, it's actually secondary is building the building. Typically, okay. somebody else designs it, somebody from the architecture space, somebody else funds it, you know, somebody from the real estate space. Uh, very often, the people actually building it don't work for the general contractor, they work for a subcontractor because they're experts in glass or plumbing or you know, one of the other trade disciplines. The GC's role is to absorb all the risk of the project. So they're risk averse by nature. If they have a, if they have a successful project, yeah, we used it, we did everything on paper, but we got it done. Let's not mess with it and change the next time around. So I've actually had conversations of the nature of, you know, well, how quickly does this pay you back? How much you know does your your new service payback and ROI? Oh, sure. less than a week, you know, yeah. less than a week, and they'll say, yeah, I still got to think about it. Because <laughs> <laughs> yeah. really, they, the issue isn't what it's cost or the payback. It's it, mentally, it's do I want to change anything at all? Uh, so it's a very conservative <laughs> uh, industry as well. Sure. And, and yet the benefits are there and obvious. So uh, yeah. that's our challenge is to get that across. But uh, like I said, we're off to a good start and uh, I'm happy with our progress today. <laughs> well, you bring up a really great topic because when I've thought about, even in the revenue maze, sometimes what we do is, you know, when I'm talking to people, I'll say the pain of same has got to be greater than the pain of change, right? And sometimes... There's those underappreciated things out there that actually are pushing people to stay in the revenue maze because they can't seem to get out of it. And some of the technologies could help them actually achieve what's happening. And you talked about risk. Risk in a con uh, construction company, it, it's huge from everything from um, injuries on the work sites to overcharges in um um, subcontractors, specialty contractors, things like that. Um, there's, if anybody watching has been on some of those big sites, there's a lot of drama going on. There's equipment, there's cranes, there's all sorts of things going on. And, mm -hmm. you know, they're orchestrating so much. And so what, what about some of those things will help them kind of think about cost and risk and how does this, how does this help with that? Well, uh, we've detected in a couple of ways. One from the product side is okay. that we've made it extremely easy to use. I mean, ease of use meaning no training required. Land uh -huh. So consumer level easy to use, right? Uh, no IT required, uh, you know, no downloads, pre-registration, no deployment project. <laughs> so typical consumer setup. All you gotta do is have a phone and uh, and a valid contract with a cell carrier. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's what's required. Uh, 
so that's one thing that we've done. Uh, outside of the product, it really gets back to how we communicate uh, the value to these companies. Mm -hmm. and, and lately it has been that nothing is more fundamental to risk management. Again, their primary function in the ecosystem is to take on risk is that this data is essential to risk management. And I, I think the analogy for those familiar with the technology space is there's nothing more fundamental to protecting data than protecting access to the data. Okay. Um, you got to know who has access to the data, why they have access, when did they have access, how long did they have access. Um, now translate that to a job site. The same absolute thing applies. Who's in there? Why are they in there? <laughs> Who let them in? <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> what did they do while they were there? Um, and that fundamental data, because it's been sort of hidden on sheets of paper, you know, historically, I think is the reason they don't realize as much the strategic value, uh, the value in even simple things like approving invoices, um, but also monitoring you know, HR incidents, uh, uh, certainly any number of safety, like how often did employees attend safety training? Uh, this is an industry with apprenticeship programs. You know, what skills has the apprentice acquired you know, over time? All this stuff is hidden in paper right now. Uh, we're bringing it to digital form. It's available in real time. Owners, GCs, anybody can see who's on a site at any time in near real time. Uh, and uh, over the long term, you know, the benefits of big data technology, machine learning and such will be able to be brought to bear on this data to make uh, differences throughout the entire ecosystem. Uh, we're even talking to some construction insurers about using our data to not only control their losses, but have benefits of claim costs, uh, you know, all through the ecosystems. So the GC, the brokers, the insurers, they, they'll all benefit. That's very interesting because I was involved at some point in situation of trying to just prove, just trying to prove if the span of time, let's say it's some kind of workers comp claim or something like that, to prove something from a piece of paper from 18 months ago, right? Yeah. Everybody very common, very common use case. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's just kind of crazy. And you would think, you know, it would take two seconds to adopt and then here we are. I, I, read, I read a report the other day that referred to these as disputable claims. Oh, okay. <laughs> that I think they were trying to come up with a, a, a euphemism <laughs> that didn't yeah. offend. <laughs> but uh, this, all, everybody has them. Uh, you know, it's kind of BS claims that uh, are paid off and costly to adjudicate and adjust. Everybody bears that cost. Uh, they do. <laughs> and, and, uh, now we know construction prices have raised so much because there's so much going in it that they don't um, see or track or don't know. And I know I was on one job site one time that, 
you know, you, you, you actually had to pass tests. I was in Australia, but you had to pass the test before you could even be allowed on the site because yeah. they actually track so seriously people yeah. just for the safety aspect of somebody gets hurt because it's just, mm-hmm. it's downer for any, any. Yeah. We, <laughs> so. yeah, no, we, we have, we have a similar, you know, capability where first time on site, you have to view a video or take an online uh, quiz. Yeah. Um, in fact, you know, one of the more exciting future things is to have more of the, uh, all right. So David, we had to take a brief dog break. Everybody knows that these are just one of those things that you do in this day of virtual, uh, meetings and, and interviewing. So thank you for bringing it real to us. <laughs> so. Okay. So you He's were a good saying. dog. <laughs> yeah, what was I saying? Take 25? Right? Oh, no, right. I don't know. No, no. Now yeah. we were talking about disputable claims and yeah. how uh, you know this data can make a strategic difference throughout an entire business ecosystem, not just for one particular business. Um, so we were, we're seeing that play out in the real world. Uh, very exciting, actually. Yeah, that is exciting. I I have to say that as many of the like going to Con Expo and a lot of those different places, safety was a very huge part of everything that um, everybody was working on. And so I I do feel like what you guys are doing are is is making a difference, especially how simple it is, you know? So, mm-hmm. all right. So that's that's way cool stuff that's happening and I love it. And so in in revenue terms, really you're, you're assisting them also with their bottom line by being able to track all of this stuff. And we could get into fines, we could get into all sorts of things that go on with OSHA, you name it, right? That this helps mm-hmm. solve. So, we're going to kind of change up a little bit because we want to hear a little more about you personally, like your story. Like I, I'm really interested in kind of what excites David about the future, you know, those kinds of things. Like what, what books do you recommend to, to do what you're doing right now? Where did you get, where did you go? You know, <laughs> how did well, you start? I said they up front, you know, my entire career has been in software. Uh, <laughs> even though I was uh, an English major in college. <laughs> but I took a lot of math courses. I, I sometimes joke I was just spent four years studying for my SATs all over again. Uh, but it, it turned out that was actually a reasonable preparation for software, which is a combination of Boolean mathematical logic and clear prose. So yeah, I can do both of those. Uh, I think I've stayed with software though my entire career because it changes so much all the time it is it's a constant learning challenge you know to keep up you know with with what's new uh, which is roughly every three or five years uh, along with the change in technology you know, but particularly in the last 20 years is innovation in the business models uh, and again i'm just a learner by nature and so you know the constant newness of it is, is just highly attractive to me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I read really quick. <laughs> <You do. laughs> Although 
Although for, for pleasure, actually, I'm really more on uh, history these days. Okay. Uh, yeah. My desperate intent not to repeat mistakes of the past. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I remember in college studying Aristotle and, and all the whole history repeats itself. <laughs> <laughs> so, I, you know, I, I love... I love that. Um, I love to go through this question of kind of really who are you like from little you to present day, sort of, you know, what what brought you kind of we talked about that you love to read that you were math, you were all the uh, you were mm -hmm. an English major, which I have a lot of friends that never were in English and they were also English majors as well. <laughs> but just the you know, just kind of like thinking about one quote that I saw even on your, um, I think you had it on your LinkedIn page, but it was actually um, by Joan Didion. Mm -hmm. And I loved where she kind of said, we all distort what we see. We all have to struggle to see what's really going on. So right now you're giving the, the, the persona, but what kind of books, like you said, for pleasure, I, I know that you told me that you also do a 5k and, um, oh, that's every year, 10, 10k, 10k, sorry, <laughs> 10k every year. So what do you like to do? What do you, you know, what's fun? Well, let's see. Um, well, you know, part of the answer is I sometimes think I'm a, I'm an immigrant into the technology industry. I was, I was born in the Rust Belt. In, uh, in Ohio, uh, and then relocated to the West Coast. I happened to be there at the start of the law and tech boom. That's certainly been you know, a big influence uh, in my professional career as well. But other things I like to do, uh, you know, stay healthy in any number of ways, uh, you know, tennis and workouts. With the pandemic, fitness videos, didn't yeah. go the Peloton route. <laughs> <laughs> I did the mirror. It's behind me. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. And I've got, uh, I've got a sort of Brady Bunch family, you know, three sons of my own, oh. another son and two daughters. Um, you know, I acquired <laughs> about eight years ago. Oh, good. <laughs> it's been great learning to have daughters. Uh, <laughs> well, I've, I grew up with three brothers. So oh. you know, for the longest time, I had yeah. no clue what young women were. <laughs> I grew up with five brothers, so I, for the longest time, I wasn't sure if I was a woman. Yeah. <laughs> and this aside from reading, my you know my other love is cooking. I love to cook. Oh. Uh, it's a uh, that's that's uh, people have sort of said that's probably a an alternate universe career I could have had. Yeah. Yeah, I, well, I, I think it came with being in tech because you work so long and so many hours, you still have to eat. Uh, so <laughs> you might as well optimize your eating. So. <laughs> you mean not just pizza like they show on TV and the, no, no, and the no, guys? No, that doesn't does, does cut it. <laughs> me. I love that you play tennis. I'm a tennis player as well. Okay, who's your favorite? Who's my favorite? Oh, yeah. God, you know. Um, well, you know, growing up, I mean, I've been a fan for so long, you know, it's sort of, 
I would say Borg, Sampras, Agassi, et cetera. And of the the current generation, I don't know, I like this Greek kid, Tsitsipas, I don't know. Okay. I just, I like his personality, you know, I, or I'm not sure he's, <laughs> I'm not sure he's ever going to be as good as the big four, but, you know. <laughs> uh, Federer of all time is my favorite period. I just, and then I could get into that for a long time. So um, anyway, it, yeah, I, I'm glad that that's, that's something that we kind of sort of have in common. So anyway, all right. So one thing that I do have to ask you about a little bit, if you were to go back in time and be your, you know, your, your older, wiser self now, give your younger, wiser, give your younger self some advice, what would it be? Uh, it would be, uh, well, let's put it this way. I, I didn't start founding my own companies until I was in my 50s. Okay. Uh, uh, I'd run other people's companies uh -huh. uh, in, in my 40s. I wish I had started my own companies earlier. There's, there's just so much about founding and raising capital and putting a team together um, and just dealing with the, the various operational dimensions of a company. I just, I feel like I lost 10 years by not <laughs> starting <laughs> companies 10 years before. Uh, I know it's, there's a lot more capital around now. You know, oh, there was yeah. when, when I was younger and, and it's much more easy to get uh, right now. Uh, a huge difference in the amount of money not just the venture capital industry, but the other funding sources for money uh, are just so much more varied, you know, than, than back in the nineties. Uh, so that's, that's, that's the one bit of advice. I should have started my own company sooner. Okay. I will have to digest that for a little while because I can't decide if my years of experience have helped me begin that. Maybe I was just a late bloomer on almost everything. So <laughs> don't beat yourself up. <laughs> at least I you got there. At least I got there. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> okay. So um, wow, that was fun. That was fun to discuss with you. So for the audience and the listeners, I really would like to know a little bit more of where they can actually get a hold of you. Where, where can they talk to you at? What's the best sources? Uh, well, I'm David Brian Ward, Brian with an I on LinkedIn. Um, so anybody in any industry, and I've worked in almost every industry <laughs> the last 40 years, uh, can find me there. Uh, and also, uh, you know, the email at my current company. So david.ward at sitecheckin.com. Uh, a little thing on the name, you know, the, the advice on names these days is the name of your service, the name of your company <laughs> has to be the same. And the name of your website has to be the same. <laughs> okay. <laughs> However, there are dozens of safe sites out there for various industries and various reasons, from physical signage to, you know, something kind of sort of like what we do. Um, so safesitecheckit.com. Perfect. That's awesome. 
All right. Thank you, David, CEO of SafeSite Check-In for being on the Revenue Maze with me. All right. Everybody else listening to the Revenue Maze, where we move revenue in upward direction, trajectory, navigating year-over-year -year growth, avoiding dead ends, roadblocks, and uncovering what companies might not realize to achieve astounding growth. If you learned something today on the show, you laughed a little bit, want to know a little bit more, please tell someone about the podcast, like it and share it on LinkedIn and YouTube. And thank you all so much. Thanks again, David. And here it is. A great you, episode. Valerie. That was fun. Thanks. Okay. Till next time. Bye-bye. Thank you all for joining another great episode. For show notes, links, and resources, visit revenuemaze.com. And never forget, you are why. <laughs>